Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Duke, coming to you from Accra, Ghana. It is truly officially the start of the raining season. We have had, I just returned from a trip abroad and came home to I guess really torrential damp- downpours. We have a lot of flooding, which are issues that we've talked about with certain guests about you know what's going on and climate change, et cetera, et cetera. This is on the heels of African Unity Day. African Development Bank is doing their annual meeting here around it. And so it's a lot of conversation about climate and sustainability. And so I'll be really interested to hear what are some of the outputs of that and maybe have some guests come and talk about what is the climate story moving forward. Let's talk about funner things. (laughs) I have a guest here with me who is a seriously dynamic diasporan. He is the managing director of Right to Dream Academy in Ghana. Born and raised in Ghana, at 16 he received a scholarship to attend boarding school in Canada where he earned an IB diploma, that's an international baccalaureate diploma. He later moved to the United States to attend university at Franklin and Marshall College in Pennsylvania. Passionate about education, he has been in various academic positions for the past 25 years. Prior to joining Right to Dream, he was the head of school at Charlotte Prep School in North Carolina. And he holds a master's degree in education leadership from the University of Pennsylvania and a certificate in school management and leadership from Harvard University. Mr. Eddie Mensa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Florence. Thanks for having me. Yes. Okay, so let's get started. Let's jump right in. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Uh, I, I am from Tema. That's the way I like to okay. let people know I am from Tema, okay. uh, which is a city about 45 minutes away from Accra yep. in Ghana. Yep. I am currently local in Ghana in, uh, in a small village called Old Akrade, which is near Kosombo okay. um, in the eastern region of Ghana. Uh-huh. So that's, that's where I've been local for the last year and a half, okay. almost, almost two years. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. nice. And tell us more about Tema, because um, I recently had another guest on that was from Tema. I live in Tema. So, yeah. Oh, you did mention Tema. that. <laughs> so, well, I was actually born in a small village called Near Kroman before we moved to Tema. So I claim Tema as my hometown okay. because okay. that's where, sure. that's where I got conscious. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Tema is probably the best city I've ever lived in all across the world. Well, simply because of the, you know, sometimes you talk about in your younger years, a yeah. certain, there's yeah. a certain stamp, yeah. that a feeling, yeah. uh, the yeah. air, the, sure. the smells have on you. And yeah. so it's, I think it's in my bones in that way. So uh-huh. every time I return, it's a very clean city. It's uh, very dynamic. So um, which community? Oh, I lived I lived all over Tema. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I lived in Comte 7, okay. where my aunt was. I lived in Comte 4. Okay. And then Comte 8 was another place. Then we lived, uh, even before that, we lived in Tama Newtown, which is okay. where my dad was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we lived in the, the mm-hmm. Naval Barracks, mm-hmm. which is in Tama Newtown, mm-hmm. uh, near the Fishing Harbor, yep. uh, before I moved to Comte 4, and then 7, and then 8, and then back to 7. Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, after my dad passed, we moved around quite a bit. Okay. Um, it was all in Tama. Got it. And Tama is, is a cry without all the stress. 
You know, I would agree. It's getting a little bit more congested, mm. especially mm. because we have the port and the port is becoming much more prominent and dominant in the country. But I was in grad school. I did a, a, a research paper on Tema and mm. the development because I studied urban policy and right. economics. So right. I studied that development. So tell us a little bit more from that perspective in terms right. of the layout, some right. of the history, yeah. so you can share that with yeah. our guests. You know, if you looked at the map, and obviously you have, it's well constructed. It was almost, you know, almost like a grid. Mm -hmm. The communities that were numbered, mm -hmm. they actually have Ghanaian names. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's Maijo and Kotugon oh. and all those other names that exist. Okay. But the numbers are sure. the ones that kind of persisted. Sure. But it's it's a very well organized city in that way. Yeah. And it's predictable, almost right. Okay, yeah. If you're driving around Tema, right. it's really predictable that you yeah. can if you're on this road, you know, there's come to seven on your right. Sure. And then there'll be four next, and sure. then there'll be three next. And yeah. but also in terms of amenities, so. In the old way that it was constructed, and obviously it's expanded now, mm -hmm. but Community One was designed to be the center, almost like yeah. the downtown. So the market was there, yeah. the public library was there, yeah. all the public services were centrally located mm -hmm. and allowed to allow folks to be able to access it easily. Mm -hmm. And it was right next to the port. Right. Um, so again, sure. anything from the harbor coming into Tama before it could be shipped to Accra, really well constructed in that way, mm -hmm. and also had a variety of structures in terms of accommodation so you could have you know some of the wealthier families who could afford the bigger houses and come to six and ten and eleven but then also sort of low income areas and come to one and four right specifically constructed in that way sure. and there's some middle class areas in seven yes. and eight yes. um so allows right yeah. yeah. very well planned that's the yeah. word that comes to mind when yeah. you think of Tama. Yeah. very well well planned yeah. yeah that was what i observed right. that it was right. really about that like mm -hmm. spatially aligning the layout right. with industry right and exactly an mm -hmm. industry on the other side mm -hmm. which makes commutes easier yeah, exactly. so if you're come to seven you can cross right mm -hmm. to you yeah. know the textile factory exactly. or the cocoa factory really i mean very well thought out i yeah. thought that you know common yeah. commerce imprint is all over it's it all over Tema. model model area so yeah. if you're ever in ghana come to Tema. i'm <laughs> yeah. trying to keep it a secret actually i actually don't want people to come to Tema so it gets too crowded I, it's true it's <laughs> come true. and visit don't right. stay yes, come it's visit. for us <laughs> Okay, so you tell me where you're from and where you're local. What is your craft? Let's let's get into the craft. Oh, you know, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit. I think my craft is trying to see how I can bring a little bit more justice to the world through work with the youth. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me a while to arrive at this, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. I've always thought of myself as a teacher. And you mm, know, an educator. As, a, as an educator, sure. I've, I've done that. And, you know, I was a classroom teacher for a long time. Yeah. I was in administration for a while. But the word justice keeps coming up mm. in my work. I mean, the, some of the work I've done with nonprofits in America, even the, the work we're doing right now on Right to Dream, which is, you know, even as a kid, I had this sense that things had to be fair, right? Yeah. That my mom says that was my phrase it's not fair. <laughs> How can I make it fair? So the idea that folks who are willing to put in the the effort and the work don't get their just rewards yeah. kind of bothers me a little yeah. bit. So yeah. the way that I do it is through my through my work with, with young people mm -hmm. and kind of empower them to become agents of change in mm -hmm. wherever the space they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. So yeah, I think that's kind of. Okay. After you know, after over forty years, I finally narrowed it down. Right, to exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you started to mention a little bit about 
living other places yeah. and coming. So you have a very interesting story as yeah. to why the where. Right. So we're going to ask you, how did you come to be living, working, and playing where you currently live now after oh. going abroad? And, right, yes, right. So that. we take the whole Secretus route sure, from the very beginning. Sure. Um, so I mentioned earlier, my dad passed when I was 12. I went to boarding school that fall. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, He passed in September. I went to boarding school in October in Ghana. And it was away from my family. It was about four or five hours away. Which school? Bishop Herman. It's in Kwando. It's in the Bota region. Oh, uh, okay. And I'm a Fanti. So, ah, okay. You know, if you're sure. Ghanaian, you understand uh, yeah, that's that a kind ways. of <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's a ways know. in distance and a ways in culture. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, I think right then I was beginning to kind of understand uh, the benefits and the challenges of living in different spaces mm -hmm. in which you're not the most comfortable, mm. right? Where language mm. around you is different from what you grew up sure. with and those kinds of things. Um, so, at 16, I got this scholarship that my headmaster nominated me for to go and apply. Uh -huh. uh, the United World Colleges are um, around the world. There's one in, that's about, I think, 16 now around the world. Oh, okay. But at that time, there were seven. Okay. And I got selected for the one in Canada. So okay. I was there for two years, did my IB. Sure. And then the, the usual thing is to go to university somewhere in North America. So yeah. I landed on Franklin and Marshall. Okay. And there's a whole story around how that happened. Because <laughs> uh, I'm a soccer fiend. So yeah. The brochure had a soccer field on it, and that's how <laughs> you picked it. <laughs> that's how I ended up. It sounds like a football. <laughs> that's how I ended up there. Yeah. And then you know, after undergrad, I went into teaching against the wishes of my mother. Okay, Ooh. wait, stop. So did you play? Yeah. Oh yes, I, uh, yes I did. Okay. I did. Yes, okay. I was on so varsity team. Athlete. I was on the varsity okay. team for four did years. Did yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then I actually played a little professional after university. Sure. Okay. So I played in for the Delaware Wizards. Oh, okay. Um, in and Delaware that was, for a few years. Was that when Major League was Major fairly League was, new. A, was, was fairly new, yeah. and we still had this dream yes. that we would make it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Teaching, starting to do some grad school, uh -huh. playing professional soccer, uh -huh. trying to keep every dream alive. Yeah. And then you start to notice, well, maybe the soccer thing is not quite yeah. going to take off. Because of your audience, I'm switching between soccer and football. But sure, sure, sure. Yes. Yeah, I don't want to lose my credentials with my people. So, <laughs> so you can just football. stick with football. <laughs> <laughs> so after a while in, in playing football and, and coaching and teaching, I started to think about what I really wanted to do mm -hmm. because the teaching thing was supposed to be a pit stop, mm. right? Okay. My mom did not want me to become a teacher, mm -hmm. even though my whole family, my father, my mother, my grandmother were all teachers. So it's supposed to be a pit stop to figure out what I wanted to do next. Okay. And then five years in, I, I fell into this job uh, with an organization called Stepping Stone Scholars. Uh -huh. And I was a nonprofit, was working with um, low-income students from different parts of Philadelphia, mm. providing educational opportunities, starting as young as fourth grade oh, okay. and taking them all the way through to college. Oh, nice. And 15 years into that, I thought, okay, this is this is really what I want to do. Because sure. it, was, it was fulfilling my intellect, it was fulfilling my soul, right. it was fulfilling my heart. Sure. Like these were, some of these some of these students were at my wedding. Oh wow! I mean, this is this is how close yeah. I became, in, you know, very intricately related to to the to the program. Sure. So after I think I did that for seventeen years, and then 
And a then real I started career. to a real yeah. career. And then I started to yeah. burn out. I was feeling drained and I thought okay, okay I needed a change. Yeah. So I went back into the traditional brick and mortar school. So uh-huh. I was head of school in, in Charlotte. Okay. Uh, for a few years. So did they but, did they headhunt you or how did you find you know, from Philly? To, oh from Philly to From Philly to, to Charlotte Carolina. I searched. Okay. Got I it. searched, yeah. Okay. I was looking. And I'd played in Charlotte, you know, uh, during okay. my playing career. Sure, sure, so sure. I knew the You're city familiar. a little bit, I was very yeah. familiar. Nice and weather, then, nice enough weather. Right. And yeah. the guy who hired me actually then recommended me for his job. Oh. So okay. I got hired as a head of middle school. Okay. Um, and then when he moved on, he recommended me to be the head of school. So Got it. I didn't realize at the time he was kind of grooming, grooming his you. successor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I still doff my hat to Blair Fisher, wherever he is. Okay. Blair uh, really kind of mentored me in, into and that school role. Leadership. Right, into yeah. school leadership. Mm-hmm. All through of this, I'm still playing. I'm still coaching. I coach school teams. I coach club teams. And I keep an eye on the soccer scene mm-hmm. because that's kind of like my passion, right? Yeah. I hear about this right to dream that's in Ghana because one of its one of the graduates was nominated to be the national soccer player of the year in America, mm. um, and went to school with one of my students from Stepping Stone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, one of my Nate says to me, Mr. Mensa, did you know there's a football academy in Ghana called Right to Dream? Never heard of it. I look it up, and it's an hour from where my mother lives. Ah, no brainer. I have to go see this place. Right. And so I come to see the place. I meet Tom Vernon, the founder. Uh-huh. We have a good conversation. We exchange information, and then we stay in touch. Yeah, you know. So, this was probably around 2012. Okay, so uh, a while ago. Right, mm-hmm. right. So but early I, days. Early days. For but I, exactly. Mm-hmm. I still come and visit when I'm in town. Sure. And I, I joke with Tom that eventually I'm going to move to Ghana. Like uh-huh. that's that's my plan, right? Uh-huh. But I'm thinking like when I'm 60. You know, when I'm okay, when I'm the, done, the end of career, end of days. career days, you right. come and start a school, <laughs> <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. And then he he sends me a random text one day and says, "Hey, do you want to come and and help me run Right to Dream Ghana?" Because mm-hmm. uh, Right to Dream was beginning to kind of spread its wings a little bit outside of outside of Ghana. Yeah. There's a club in Denmark. So wait, did it start in Ghana? Yes, it did. Oh, yeah, okay. so it started with um, Tom's. Uh, uh, used to be a scout for Manchester United and ah, lived in Ghana. Okay, Moved okay. to Ghana when it was like 19 or 20. Right. And started in his, you know, in his backyard. Sure. Um, sure. And then it grew into this, into this thing. Yeah. Now, so at first I thought it was joking. I was like, Yeah, right, right. Right. But my wife and I had talked about this. My wife is Nigerian American, uh-huh. and we had talked about you know moving to West Africa at some point in our, our careers. Like I said, mm-hmm. maybe maybe towards the end. Obviously, Ghana is much more. You're livable. <laughs> <laughs> you say it so I don't get in trouble at you know, all. You <laughs> know, I love my Nigerian friends and I actually like I lo- I like Abuja. I really mm. do. I enjoy it. Mm. Um I was just as I was getting ready doing just some reading wow. and Nigeria is ranked as one of the least livable cities. Mm. It's actually it's, the number one right. and this this survey that I looked at. Yeah. And not Nigeria, uh, Lagos. Lagos, right. Yeah. yeah. So I mean probably outside of Lagos is fine. Right. And yeah. again, no shade. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> you said it, so no shade. I but be able to go home. everyone knows that Accra, and I hate to say that, that Accra is a very livable city. Very livable yeah. city. Very yeah. livable city. Yeah. So my wife agrees with you, by mm-hmm. the way. And so we had thought about it. And so when it when this opportunity to come to come home came up, it felt like yeah, I would have to do it. Yeah. And you know, the timing was not ideal. So. My stepdaughter was in eighth grade at the time. Mm. Was about to go mm, into eighth the high grade, school, the high school. Right, yeah. So, 
So, you know, there was some sacrifice that we had to make. So I came the first year mm-hmm. by myself mm-hmm. so that, you know, she could, finish, she could finish middle, middle school. school. Yeah. And then we found a good school and then they moved here sure. last August. Okay. So that's how I landed back at home. Okay. I keep saying home. But, you know, a silly, a, a silly story about that is recently I was going back to Philadelphia uh-huh. and I heard myself saying I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I I've mean, been fiercely declaring Ghana's home, and all of a sudden yeah. I was referring to Philadelphia as home too. So you know, I I feel like any city that you find your soul mm. is home, mm. and your soul can be in so many places, and that's oh, the beauty of like that. the. <laughs> that's a tweet right there. That's a tweet right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's so really welcome true. Welcome home and home. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I'm I'm curious about the transition working at a prep school mm. in Charlotte from the inner city in Philadelphia. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of that transition work-wise mm. and how maybe that transition informs your running of Right to Dream. Right. That's a really good question. So my mind shifts more to the similarities than the differences, mm-hmm. but I think there, there's, some, there's some stark differences in, in those two settings. Yeah. The, the first one is that there's a sense of desperation might be a, too strong of a word, but when I was in Philadelphia, there was a sense of yearning for something better than our current circumstances mm. from the students and their mm. families, right? Mm-hmm. There's this sense that, mm-hmm. you know, life doesn't have to be the way it is now, mm-hmm. and if we really, you know, we need to get to a different place, whether it's physically, whether it's um, academically, whether it's financially. Uh, So there's that kind of striving, right? There's also the ability to to do more with less, Mm. right? So resources are not quite Mm -hmm. where it needs to be and you kind of get really creative in in those spaces, right? Independent schools, relatively speaking, uh, like the one I was in Charlotte, you know, relatively well endowed with resources right. and, and those kinds of things. Families are a little bit more thinking about how to maintain a certain lifestyle yeah. rather than get out of a certain space, sure. right? Sure, so, sure. so that that those differences Different are right, yeah. right. Yeah. We like the way things are. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that they stay the same, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's the school itself or whether mm-hmm. it's our family, and culturally, mm. right? And and culturally, right. I mean, there's, you know. Because it's America, yeah. there's always the economics and race yeah. always have some intersection, sure. right? Yes. And so yes. chances are, if it's a rich space, if mm, it's a wealthy space, there are more white people. Yeah. It's less diverse, yeah. right? And so, you know, in Philadelphia, the groups, the, the students that I worked with were 95% African-American mm-hmm. uh, students of color, where in Charlotte, I think our school had about 25% students of color. Mm, okay. Um, so again, that changes the dynamics of how you, you approach and how we, you know, how mm-hmm. we live together, yeah. right? But what you would find is that if you're, if you're trying to cultivate students, families, to learn one, how to be the best versions of themselves, mm-hmm. and then to learn how to live together, mm-hmm. then those similarities are there. Universal. Whether, universal, yeah. whether you're in Philadelphia or in Charlotte mm-hmm. or in Accra, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in education, we always say kids are kids. Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, kids are kids. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in one setting, I may be helping a student deal with, and I don't want to go really stark, but sure. deal with trauma at home right. uh, in an impoverished neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But in, in Charlotte, I might be helping a student deal with trauma at home mm-hmm. in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right? Like um, divorce. Divorce, yeah. right, those, those yeah. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kids always have that kind of 
individual need for the love and attention and the and the nurturing that they need mm-hmm. to to progress mm-hmm. and so it's i've always found that if i'm careful enough to step back mm-hmm. i can see those common themes yeah. right and not kind of prejudge yeah uh, the spaces i'm in yeah. but i have to say i mean to back to the original question each space prepared me for the next one mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so the the work we've done in philadelphia mm-hmm. really prepared me to work in independent schools right mm-hmm. make me more appreciative of resources that i have yeah. and really you know put things in perspective for me sure. there are certain standards that having a lot of resources can allow you to to hold that you can apply in other settings Um, so those kinds of things have kind of set me up right. properly for, right. uh, for to, yeah, manage, to manage bigger that kind organizations. Of exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, interesting. So I'm curious about the grooming of your team right. to be able to do a lot right. of that work, right. you know, in terms of yeah. finding the people who can carry that out yeah. and do that, particularly yeah. here yeah. in Ghana, yeah. aside potentially from the, and even amongst the football staff, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. how, how has that been? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really good question and I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be careful not yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because it's not necessarily the difficulties we face in finding the right talent, right? Mm-hmm. I find it's not necessarily in the lack of talent, mm-hmm. but more more in the in the circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've had friends and I complain about you know staff that are uh, not holding the highest standards or cutting corners, and uh, you know some of some of that at the root of that is where an economic situation. Mm. Right, forces mm-hmm. people to adopt this culture mm-hmm. of get what I can mm-hmm. when I can, yep. as opposed to think long term. Yeah. Let's build this thing so that we can all benefit from it. Sure. But I'd rather get the small that I can right now yeah. because I'm not really thinking about tomorrow or the uh-huh. next week or the next week. Mm-hmm. And so we approach almost everything like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So when when we're looking at you know building a situation where our students now can benefit ten years from now. It's hard for a staff member who cannot See envision that. next year right. to be envisioning 10 years from now for this 10-year-old, right? right. 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 So right. that's right. where I think finding folks who are purposeful. So I'd, I'd write to them, we talk about mm-hmm. purpose, mm-hmm. right? Folks who are really purposeful in their thinking mm-hmm. and their approach. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the technical skills are easier to teach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. helping with your lesson plans and designing, you yeah. know, interactive lessons are easier to teach yeah. than helping with your mindset right. that sees students as beings of agency right. and not kind of the way that we were raised, where yeah. you're kind of like yeah. you're objects until you become an adult. Right, and, and suddenly. <laughs> Right. And then suddenly yeah. you're supposed to be this, you yeah, know, fully formed. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, that mindset piece, if somebody's willing and open to a conversation around how we raise children uh-huh. and how we partner with them in a way that, you know, in, in, in education we talk about the, the shepherd method of teaching, which is okay. a little different from the sage on the stage, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. The sage on the stage has all the knowledge and they stand up there and they give it to you and you absorb it and later on you can regurgitate it back to mm-hmm. us, right? But the internet is telling us that that style of teaching is, <laughs> is archaic. Right, right? Exactly. So uh, the Sherpa 
is guiding you because they've kind of been there before but you're still kind of making your way up this mountain mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and at some point you need more help because you haven't done this before so the right. shepherd is really involved yeah. when their kids are younger yeah. but as they start to you know experience and go through this journey yeah. then the shepherd takes a little less involvement than the, the climber right. um, takes explore. more and can explore and yeah. take more responsibility yeah. that's not the way we went to school yeah. Um, so yeah. how do we teach differently from the way we were taught right and that's exactly. the challenge yeah um, so yeah. I, th- I think I've given a philosophical answer to your question no, you've, um, you've, you've, you've hit it on the nose because yeah. this is something that um, you know I'm in education creating edu- educational content and the key challenge in success in the classroom in schools is the mindset of the educator mm. Hands down. And so that's where, that's why I always ask that question. So because it's up to the organizations like yours and mine that have to put weight on the, the organizations that train these people to really change that. And that's really where, where we're kind of ending up. Okay. I want to ask you my global speak question. So we want to hear what you hear. (laughs) So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or saying that is an integral part of your local vernacular so something mm. that you you use something that caught your your attention something like that oh so well i can i give can i um cheat and answer more than one yes 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 as <laughs> many right. as, as many as you feel like you want to so share. my favorite phrase and favorite i'm using that word you know jokingly in ghana is it's normal yes <laughs> And that's used to explain away any kinds of inconveniences mm-hmm. that you face mm-hmm. uh, when people look at you like, okay, you do you know, you're not from around here, yeah. are you? It's normal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really bothers me on some occasions, yeah. and I find it very entertaining. And sure, not okay. sure. But it's almost like a bomb, right? It's like a soothing bomb that it we is. use. It is. It's normal. Yeah. It's hard to but it's normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And we just kind of, mm-hmm. and the days that it bothers me is because I think it creates complacency. Exactly. Um, it's it an excuse Right, for, it's an excuse. It doesn't, yeah, you yeah. know, encourage us to actually find solutions to the things exactly. that we're facing because, because uh, it's normal. Right, normal. Exactly. it's normal. Yeah. Um, the other phrase that I've been using really heavily recently because of the work we do, Right to Dream, is every Monday we have assembly with the students mm-hmm. and we end assembly with, you are more than a footballer. Mm-hmm. Because I think it is our duty as the Sherpas mm-hmm. to help them see a bigger space than themselves, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so, and at that age, you know, we our students range from ten to eighteen. Okay. And it's football, and they yeah. eat and they drink and they sleep All football, day, right? Every, yeah. And we also know that in reality is that a football career, playing career. It's finite, yeah, right? Exactly. You're not going to play much longer than 40 mm-hmm. unless you're a superhuman mm. on steroids. But <laughs> right. So, right. so you're more than a footballer says, can you explore other parts of yourself? Sure. I mean, we, I, we keep it as a mantra yeah. just so that it forces them when they're in the classroom to think about themselves as more than a footballer. Yeah. Yeah. When they're in their dormitories, they think of themselves sure. as more than a footballer. Yeah. To, again, think of themselves not only about their own space but the space around them mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. how am I going to make a bigger impact mm-hmm. in my community mm-hmm. if I'm more than a footballer right that, you must. that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. okay I like those right. 
that's a great dovetail into talking more about what? the academy uh-huh. and your your work there. First, first, I want you to describe the campus mm-hmm. for us, oh. and then describe like a typical day in the uh, life on at the uh, Right to Dream Academy. Oh, you see the smile on my face. Yes, <laughs> I Older Cardi. Uh, we're right on the banks of the Volta Lake. Uh-huh. Uh, so our campus is split into two. Okay. It's split by the old Accrada village. Uh-huh. Uh, so on one side of the campus are dormitories and about eight football pitches. Wow. For full size, um, for a smaller size, wow. greens. We have this um, recording tower that I love to just climb up oh, to the top so look. I can stand in yeah. and look at all the teams training. Yes. And then you pass through the village to the other side, to the riverside, uh-huh. and that's where the school campus is. Like, so on yeah. the school campus, so there's a girls' dormitory, uh-huh. and we have a, um, a girls' program as well. And then there are classrooms, and then a, a very nice dining hall space that we use. It's a multi-purpose, multi-purpose space. Yeah. You know, all our assemblies are there, mm-hmm. and, you know, entertainment, okay. movies, all of that. It's a really good central gathering place. Yeah. And then the staff accommodation on the perimeter, um, on, on the perimeter uh, along the riverside. A typical day for a student is school starts at 7, 7.30. So by 7.15, most students are, you know, they're pastoral officers will get them to school mm-hmm. and they are in school from 7.30 to about 1.30 okay. and then they have lunch from 1.30 to 2.30 and then they have about an hour of free time and then football training starts on 3.45, 4 o'clock to about 6. Got it. And then there's dinner yeah. and then after dinner it varies from day to day. There might be some enrichment activities. Okay. Um, we have religious activities on the weekend for those who worship, who have, whether it's a an imam that comes mm-hmm. or a Christian pastor that comes mm-hmm. or those of no faith sure. have that won't, that sure. won't hang out. But it's it's rinse, wash, and repeat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> it's, the daily life. It's the daily life because, you know, on the football side, you need that repetition yes. and that practice over and yes. over and over to, to get better. Yes. My day, I like because I get to see all of this in action, sure. right? So I'm, I'm obviously making sure that the school side is operating well mm-hmm. and the, the football coaches are doing what they're supposed to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. But I get to hang out. And yeah. Then, right? yeah. On a yeah. really good day, I get to really kind of... And connect. And connect and, and see how the different sides. Um, one of my favorite things I say to the teachers and the coaches is that they're so similar they don't even realize it, right? Because we oh, actually yeah. have a teaching staff yeah. and then we have a coaching staff. Right. And I think sometimes they see themselves as separate. Sure. While, right. Even though they're practicing the same craft. Exactly. Of instruction yeah. and guidance. Mm-hmm. Right. So I love to just kind of walk around classrooms mm-hmm. and then go watch coach and then hear the similar yeah. conversation and the similar yeah. tone so yeah. it's 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 good it's nice. good um i'm leaving out the stressful parts right sure. yeah yeah we don't we don't want to hear that we just want to hear the good stuff we want to hear the happy make us mother but you know we obviously get it and yeah. and so i think you came into the organization at a very interesting time yeah. because part of the stresses that organizations like yours deal with it's fundraising, right? I mean, it's always been a not-for-profit. So tell us a little bit more about how the organization is funded and right. how you provide your services. Right, excellent. All right, so uh, as a nonprofit, about six years ago, the founder got some investors together to purchase a team in Denmark uh, mm. called FCN. Okay. And part of the strategy was that because all the 
if we make any profits from player movements, yeah. it comes back into the academy. The, the academy. Mm-hmm. And so a, a successful team in Denmark would really support that. So our players, you know, our, our best players who go to Denmark, yeah. they'll get transferred between FCN sure. and some other teams. Sure. The income would come, it will trickle back down to... Um, but, you know, those who run football clubs will tell you that if, you're, if your entire budget is dependent on, on player interest, you are yeah, in a, you're in a dicey situation, yeah. right? It's unreliable player injuries, all kinds of exactly. things. So most recently, the Mansour family from Egypt mm-hmm. really got attracted to our model because besides the fact that we do football and we do school and we have this you know, character education program that's really strong, you will see that our successes are not just on the football pitch. So we have students in America who graduated from you know prestigious universities who are doing things other than football, and the Mansour's are really attracted to that. So they have come in with a pretty hefty investment to become sort of majority um, shareholders. And so we are building a new academy in Egypt, Okay, exciting. And very exciting. Have you been um, yet? Yes. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, nice. Yeah, it's amazing. Really, really awesome. Yeah. And the staff there, wonderful people. And, uh-huh. you know, we've already had a sort of interactions. So we're in a space where at least in the short term, yeah. we don't have to worry so much about fundraising, right? Okay. What we need to do is continue to build on our successes yeah. so that, you know, this right. this investment does not become sort of a, you know, we yeah. can't count on a sure. you know, limitless sure. piece of that. So the funding currently comes from the investment, the heavy investment by the Mansour family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then hopefully down the line, right. the player transfers, and then you start to think about other sources of, of, of revenue. Mm-hmm. Is it our branding mm-hmm. and content and mm-hmm. those kinds of things mm-hmm. that can... The curriculum. Uh, the curriculum, right. Yeah. We've been thinking about... Training other tra- academies. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you want to come? <laughs> <laughs> You can consult with us and help us with some of this stuff. Um, so it, it's it's fast. That's the stressful part. Yes. That's the stressful part that I yes. left out of the exactly. description. But yeah. you need both sides of this, right? Yes. And another for yes. that thing to function well. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Nice. So speaking of the mindsets and you know the stress and all that stuff, how do you hack your minds? This is where I ask about mm. what is your mindset hack. Mm. So so how do you how do you change the the shape of your thoughts and, right. and hack your mind. Yeah. Huh. Again, you know, it's evolved over time. I used to have, you know, this sort of really rigid, you know, in order to, if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail type of thing, right? Yeah. Like you gotta have a really kind of structured approach. And then in the last ten years, I kept saying, nothing ever goes according to plan. Like I have never had anything. <laughs> <laughs> go exactly according to plan. Okay. But if I am open to possibilities, mm-hmm. everything always works out. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. still plan. Yeah. I, still, I mean, let's talk about we're sitting here right sure. now, right? Exactly. I mean, if we review, if you review our exchanges, yeah. this is not where we're supposed to be. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> but if I'm open to possibilities, yeah. things work out. Yes. And so then I'm not entering with disappointment, right? And so. Yeah. That's my mind hack. So I, I remind myself, it's yes. not it's probably not going to go according to your plan. Right, but right. Be, fle- open be, to, be open and flexible yeah. to, to the possibilities. You know, I used to think everything was an emergency. And then you start to realize, well, no, mm-hmm. no, just if you mm-hmm. delay judgment for a little bit mm-hmm. and calmly look at it, yeah. it'll be fine. So, yeah. you know, 
for some of that stuff, I think there's really no substitute for experience. Like you have to right. go through that experience to yeah. learn from it. Yeah. But I just, I am not as in charge as I think I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, you know, another side of that mind hack yeah. is like, yeah. you know, I'm planning, but you know, I'm not sure. fully in charge of this, which is kind of intuitive to some of the stuff that I read on social media. Yeah. Like, take charge, you are, you know, <laughs> you are, you are your own agent, yeah. you are the, the author of your success and right. all of that. All of that is true, sure. uh, but I think there's a balance yes. of, of, of that approach. So yeah. I remind myself that I'm planning because it's good to plan. Um, <laughs> But I also remind myself that it may not it may not go according to plan. Yeah. And just be open to the possibilities. Yeah. Um, and allow, you know, the space and and God if you believe in right. God. And the time to 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 get to where you you need to be. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about the ways of planning for the future. So you write to dream is now expanding into Egypt. What are the plans for further expansion so far? And then also the name Right to Dream. You you talked about justice and I, I wanted to get a bit of more of a sense of like what exactly is that, how is that embedded in the mission and the vision and moving things forward? So our founder Tom and I, you know, joke about this a lot about how justice is my favorite word. Uh-huh. Well I'm suggesting to him that it might be his too. Because yeah. um, I think part of what he saw was this thing that he felt was not fair, right? And there are amazing football players in Ghana, similar to what he had seen in Europe, but they were not getting the same opportunities. And he felt like, you know, they couldn't even dream about the kinds of successes that other children in other spaces can dream of. And so everybody has that right, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the work to achieve that dream is a, is a different space, but at least the very source of it in order to just start to think about it you have to at least imagine it and he felt like and i think we all do that every child should have that opportunity to at least imagine the possibility it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll achieve it but that sense of possibility can be can be a real catalyst right releasing it's freedom right right and so i I think that's where that, that name came from our plans is 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 to look for ways in which we make impact. So, you know, in a nonprofit space, we talk about the high impact, low numbers, mm-hmm. high numbers, low impact, those kinds of mm-hmm. things. And we optimistically still believe that if we light, you know, candles in different spaces, then and we we hopefully teach them about seeing the world as bigger themselves bigger than themselves, then maybe they'll light other candles, right? So we, we want we want our students to think of themselves of how they can make impact within their communities. Because maybe Right to Dream cannot touch every community, but if we have Right to Dream students and graduates who are thinking about going back to their small town, their small village, and, and empowering somebody else to think about a life that's a little better than what they currently have, yeah. then we're kind of succeeding. We don't really think that we have the monopoly on the wisdom around this, mm-hmm. um, but we feel like we're challenging and rocking the boat enough that maybe other people mm-hmm. can, can copy us mm-hmm. or perfect even better what we do. So I think we're modest in our thinking but really ambitious in the, in the plan. So Egypt is next and I think you know, in 10 years, if you and I are sitting here, we'll be talking about a right to dream in every continent. Ah, 
that okay. that would be that yeah. would be the kind of yeah the kind of growth exactly yeah. exactly yeah, yeah yeah I I often hear like just my friends who've been in the football space about you know the experience in an academy and the disappointments with moving you know like not moving forward or moving forward so tell us a little bit more about your graduates the program has been around for a while about your graduates and then those that don't you know make it into a major thing so um, or a major team or something like that so how 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 does that interplay and, and what kind of support do you see in, in alumni relations? Excellent, excellent question. So I think Right to Dream has evolved a lot in, in its original thinking in the way that we handle graduates. Um, um, because the reality of the football industry, that it's a pyramid yeah. in which you know you start at the bottom with a bunch of players and by the time you get to the top, only a few are left. Mm-hmm. You can go to these famous academies around the world and they'll show you all the ones that dropped out. Um, so Right to Dream's commitment is to try and find opportunities for our students. We don't drop students. We don't drop mm-hmm. players, you know, at 13 or 14 because mm-hmm. you, you can no longer cut it. You know, our commitment is you are with you until you become an adult, until you're 18. Um, so whether it's through the football pathway, if you're talented enough to find a major uh, football team, we support that, obviously. It's really good for, right. for us on the business side, right. right? But we also have enough partnerships with other smaller teams that some of our lesser talented players can still make it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have the academic pathway. Mm-hmm. Right? And so those who are academically inclined and think about taking the student-athlete pathway, America is a great destination right. for that. So we have quite a few that will end up in boarding schools in New England or go okay. to university. And then there are quite a few, you know, there are few that will fall somewhere in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not strong enough academically, but maybe not strong enough in football. And so then we have to find other opportunities for them. Um, so sometimes it might be a little Local school, a local team, a vocation, yeah. uh, but then also try and provide emotional support around that. Right. And I think that's the part where we were not so great in the past, okay. right? So even though we were finding pathways for you, yeah. maybe the piece about the psychology right. of dealing with exactly. a pathway that's not um, as glamorous and thinking of yourself as having failed, yeah. right? right. Um, I think that's the part where we're getting better at. Um, and so I, I, I think it's fair to say if you talk to some of our older graduates, their experience about this kind of pathway thing was not as positive as more some of our more recent graduates. And we have to be humble about that. We have to accept that that in order to get better, we have to understand the things that we were not so great at in the past and then improve it going forward. Um, so that's part of a lot of our thinking right now is, you know, as we grow and we have players come out of Egypt and Ghana and Denmark, the pyramid remains the same. Mm-hmm. So, right, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. still going to be that same small number of right. players. Exactly. And there's going to have more and more kids who need more opportunities. And we yeah. say we want to do that. So we have to spend time and, right. and resources on that. So yeah. that's really kind of our next level is okay. to find viable opportunities, but also to think of one of our manifesto points is expand the dream. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, you know, you know, you have the right to dream. You know, maybe you should expand your dream right. so it goes beyond a sort of very yeah. narrow, I need to play for this Liverpool, team. I need to yeah. play for that team, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. I like the vision with that. And I, you know, um, I was an athlete myself. And so, you know, coming from the US, I think it's already in most 
student athletes, scholar athletes' minds that you know this could pan out, or this particularly as a woman, you know, like there was there aren't. I was in athletics, so obviously track you could continue to go forward, but for a lot of team sports, there aren't a lot of opportunities for women. So we're already in that space and learning. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one more question about football. Your 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 girls' academy. Yes. <laughs> Tell us more about that. The recruitment. How much success? Like where 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 do you see a lot of their paths leading? Yeah. So. You know, I think you just mentioned a really stark reality mm -hmm. about the professional opportunities in team sport for women. Yeah. And it's dire. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it needs to change worldwide. We have a small program. Uh, we have about 18 girls right now mm -hmm. um, in our program that range between 12 and 15. Mm -hmm. And because of the lack of opportunities in football for women, most of the girls that and young ladies that we get go on the school pathway. So they yeah. end up in schools in America sure. and then look to go to university and, and then play in that way. Sure. So it's a program that I think we're really, really proud of, but at the same time recognize that we need to improve. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you specifically, we need to improve the numbers, for example. Mm -hmm. right? Recruiting. Uh, we need to recruit more. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to challenge this stereotype that girls who will not play or cannot mm. play or their parents won't let them play, mm -hmm. right? It's pervasive. And you find that, no, it's not as, as rampant as we think mm. if you go and actually spend the time and yeah, understand the reason. Okay with it. Right, understand oh. the reason why. If I sit down with the parent to really explain the opportunity, yeah. then they're like, okay, why wouldn't I want something better right. for my daughter, right? Oh, okay. um, so yeah. I, think, I think there's space for that. I think there's room for us to grow in that area. I think in the football industry, and I, you know, I watched the Women's Champions League final recently, mm -hmm. full stadium, right? Mm -hmm. When you know, the Women's yeah. World Cup is around full stadium. Yeah. And how do we get to the point where it's not just at these one-off yeah. events, the, yeah, the right? Big stages. The big stages yeah. so that, you know, a woman yeah. can make a living right. as a man does playing football. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't know exactly the kind of role that Right to Dream can play in that besides producing mm -hmm. <laughs> players who are clearly, you know. Well, that's a start. You superior. Know? Um, yeah. And then hopefully the systems that yeah. are already in place will start to grow in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, one thing I can think of is just basically being a funnel for national teams, mm -hmm. you know, initially. And I yeah. think that's probably yeah. a lot of where you are anyway. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what we're thinking about right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about who Eddie is when he's not staking his ground on rights to dream, going back and forth between Accra and Kosovo. Uh, who are you? Are you a listener? Are you a watcher? Or are you a reader? And what are some of your most interesting and favorite watches, reads, or listens? Ha! Huh. I think I am a little bit of all of that. Okay. Um, I watch a lot. I watch people. I like to sit and, and, and watch. Okay. On the screen, on the small screen or the big screen, I'm really sure. interested in something that will distract me from, okay. from the realities. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, but has to be real. I don't know. I get it. <laughs> but it has to be realistic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, comedies and, 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 and mysteries are interesting to me. Okay. Dramas, and not so much. Okay. Uh, I have no, there's enough in the world for me to deal with. Yeah. Um, so I'm usually distracting myself with some comedy. Recently, I've been watching. There's a there's a new show called um, Abbott Elementary. Oh uh, yeah, it's set yeah. in Philadelphia. That's and pretty it's like, funny. Oh yeah, it's you know it's about the <laughs> <laughs> nostalgia. And it's like I'm binging every episode. Yeah. I can't wait for the next one to come. Right. And my wife and I actually watch it together. Okay. Um, we both lived in Philadelphia, so yeah. um, I love that a lot. Reading wise, I, I read anything. 
recently I started reading the English version of the Quran because um, I'm kind of, well, I've never been in a space with this many Muslim students um, in my educational career. Um, and all of a sudden I find myself in that space a lot. And so I feel like I want to be able to understand a little bit more about the, the faith culture of, of our students. And we have quite a few students on campus. Um, so I've started to, you know, dabble in reading the, I can't read Arabic. So I'm uh, reading that just to kind of my, get my head around, around that. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not a great reader of nonfiction. Okay. I did that when I was younger, mm -hmm. and now I'm more into more of the theoretical stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, which is a little like it's too nerdy. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember the last time I read a book for fun, right? Just okay. kind of just no. Sure. It's always some sort of learning leadership, experience. learning experience yeah. thing, and uh, and it's kind of sad. I need to return to that. But I feel like I'm in such work mode, like, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, somebody recommended that book. Why? Right, let me go make right. sure, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I, can, I can give you a tip for that, and that's yeah. audiobooks. Yeah. yeah, because when you're in that, if you're so much in that mode, if you just switch to the listen, then it becomes easier to transition into different kinds of reads. I would do that. I would do that. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as tech savvy as I need to be. That's a whole lot. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But yes, I will take that tip. I'll take that tip. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so thank you for those. We will um, have some links to those in our show notes and links to all of the programs and uh, different um, teams that, uh, that Eddie was speaking about. And so as we get to the close of our conversation, I want to ask you, what would you like to leave as a nugget of knowledge or just some, some final thoughts for our listeners? I, I said this on another podcast, so it's not original, even though it's from me. I think every human being should wrestle with profit and purpose at some point um, in their life. And in, in, the, in, in profit, I'm talking about not just material profit, but like, you know, the pleasure is doing something just for the, the pleasure of it and not having an impact, mm -hmm. right? And then the purpose piece, I think, is the, the idea that what you're doing fulfills your soul mm -hmm. but also has an impact on the world mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and I think whether you're a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher you're wrestling with both at some point yeah. and trying to find where on that spectrum you're comfortable with yeah. uh, and if you're too comfortable then you know the usual is try and get out of your comfort zone a little bit and shift in whatever direction so I think I think it's a useful exercise and you know I'm a I'm a pseudo-Christian, so there's a, there's a faith-based piece of that that I think when I'm wrestling with profit and purpose, it allows me to think about how I'm more aligned with why God put me on this earth, right? And if I don't think about it, that's when I start to stray in one direction or the other. Um, and, and, and I need that balance. So I think for each person, it's a useful exercise to just kind of think about profit versus purpose and where do you stand, where do you land on that in whatever time you're in. I like that. That's a nice last thought because, you know, we're all actually, as much as we may not admit to it we're here for the purpose not the profit you know like we're here to be a part of this this oneness this you you, you know this whole unitary system that is this earth system like we wouldn't we're conceiving the same dream for us to be sitting here talking to each other so there's already 
this purpose that's, that's driving us together. So thank you for that. All right, listeners, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with new episodes at GlocalCitizensPod.com. Be sure to check out the show notes. They're always rich and they have all the kinds of information about where to find Eddie and every guest as well as Right to Dream. And obviously you'll see their website, etc., etc. So until next time, folks, bye for now.